Okay, hello, welcome to Beastly Theories. I'm your host, Annie McGrath. Today I've got Monica Rawlins with me. Now, Monica is an experienced outdoors woman with an extensive background in cryptozoological research and the paranormal. She's been a field researcher for over 17 years and, and she's traveled across the US to conduct her research. Uh, she worked extensively in television and radio, where her quick wit and no nonsense attitude towards research and evidence has garnered her a solid fan base. Uh, Monica, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to see you here. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Now, it was really, really, I see you all on the internet all the time. I see all of your, your conversations with the researchers. I have seen you on one or two TV programs like Monster Quest and, and things like that in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, I was very interested to talk to you. Now, I, I've interviewed you on my 25th interview. And I don't actually have um, many women cryptozoologist on my interviews I, I think that's not exactly right now I don't want to make you a representative of all women you are just Monica I understand that so those aren't the kind of questions I've got to you but <laughs> I, I am kind of interested in you know in your journey so I, I think with all things it's best to start at the beginning with the initiation into this world so when did you first become interested in cryptozoology? Well really it's something that I've been interested in my whole life I grew up in Northern California and I spent summers in uh, southwestern Oregon, which is a fairly remote part of the state. And my grandfather loved spooky stories and legends. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have him encourage me in that. So uh, in my summers in Oregon, specifically, I can't say that there was really any incidents near where I grew up. But uh, in the rural parts of Oregon during the summers, there were some odd things that happened uh, as a child throughout the summers. And, you know, at the time, I just chalked it up to strangeness. Uh, but now being a researcher, looking back on it, I think that there was probably a little bit more to some of the incidents that happened in my childhood. And, and like I said, I was lucky enough to have a grandfather who encouraged me in studying it. And as a child, I liked everything odd and spooky. So I read as much as I could, of course, about Bigfoot because of where I lived and the Loch Ness Monster and any kind of you know, monster I could, I could find a book on as a child. So that really just, you know, was my interest. And then uh, as an adult, I moved to Texas. I moved to East Texas, actually. And I was watching the movie Legend of Boggy Creek one night. And I realized that Falk, Arkansas was only a few hours from where I was living at the time. Oh. So uh, I hopped on the internet and I researched um, Texas and Bigfoot to see what I could find. And I found the uh, TBRC, Texas Bigfoot Research Center, and I um, applied. And that's how I got my start in formally into cryptozoology and research. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's a good uh, organization to get with uh, at the mm -hmm. beginning there, too. Now, um, jumping straight into the meat of it, actually, you had a very significant sighting in 2014 uh, of what's commonly referred to as the dog man. Uh, wow, you heard about that. Yes, we, we <laughs> refer to that. I mean, well, I mean obviously, it's, it's often categorized as a werewolf here, but I, I realize that dog man is, is more of a common vernacular now. Just for any mm -hmm. British audiences who are not familiar with that. Um, tell us about that sighting. I mean, uh, what, what happened? What did you see? It was, well, it, it's something that I, I'm just shocked, actually, that you've heard about it because I really don't talk about it very often because I know it sounds crazy. And I'm 
very much a level-headed, logical person. Uh, and seeing what I saw where I saw it was disarming, to say mm-hmm. the least. And, and it shook me. Um, but the sighting was in a very populated part of, well, Dallas. I mean, their large estates there. Mm-hmm. And acres, acres. I mean, it's a very wealthy part of town. Um, so there's a lot of land and creeks running through there, but still to see something like that in an urban setting was, I know it sounds crazy and, and it does. I understand it sounds crazy, but I know what I saw. I was no, driving down no. the road and I was going to pick my daughter up very late one night from um, her place of employment. She'd just gotten off. She didn't have her driver's license at the time. So she'd call me to come pick her up. And I was taking a shortcut down this road, large estates, um, very few streetlights. But I just so happened to be passing under a streetlight and I saw some movement out of the corner of my eye. And I slowed down because honestly, I thought a dog was going to run out into the road. Uh, And I had just turned onto the street, so I was already going fairly slow. And the movement was very quick. And as I was turning my head, because it was on the right-hand side of the road. As I was turning my head to look, I could see something bounding. Mm -hmm. And just as I started to turn to to look at it, I recognized the silhouette, and it was large, and it had a dog head and big ears. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you just saw a dog. But what I saw, what I saw landed on two feet, Mm-hmm. and then crouched down into a runner's stance and it was larger than a dog and yeah, I'm a, I mean I've I'm a cryptozoologist I've yeah. studied moss I mean I know the difference between a dog of course and something course. else and this thing that I saw was huge it scared me so much and I've been alone in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. in the dark, with nobody around me. And you get spooked from time to time, but yeah. not scared. This scared me. I, it just, and I can't describe it. It just this, this evil, mm. malicious feeling was just emanating off of it. Oh, and really? as I turned to look at it, I couldn't look right at it because my mind was saying, you can't handle that. Don't look right at that. You know what that is. Don't look right at it. But I turned enough to see clearly in my peripheral vision mm-hmm. what was happening. And it it landed in a runner stance, a three-point runner stance, and it crouched down and it watched me. It was looking in my car window as I was driving by. And again, this the, the malicious vibe is all I can describe that was coming off of it scared me so badly Mm -hmm. that I ran every single stoplight on that road Wow! and stop sign rather there weren't lights. It's, Uh it's a residential area. So stop signs, four or five stop signs. I just ran and I was afraid to look in my rear view mirror because I was convinced I was going to see it running after me. Mm -hmm. And when I got to my daughter's place of employment, which was maybe a mile down the road, I sat in the parking lot waiting for her, terrified that this thing was following me. Wow. And I, it, I know it sounds crazy, and I don't really talk about it a lot because I know how it sounds. Um, but I also know what I saw. 
And I know well, what I didn't see. No, sure. I, I think um, <laughs> a lot of the people I've, I've talked to about um, dogman type sightings, um, that's often very similar, that they um, they feel the effect, uh, the malevolent effect of the thing was so strong that they, they've dreamt about it, following the miles home to their house, and they've been in their cars when it happened, that the sighting, oh. or that the, the creature somehow found where they lived hours and hours away from where they saw it which is obviously not very possible uh, if it's an animal. And um, I, what um, was very interesting to me about that, I wondered if he, and you kind of explained that you did a little bit, if you had any kind of trauma effect from that, did you fear going back into the woods after that? For example? You know what is funny is I'm not afraid to go into the woods because about mm-hmm. a six months after this incident, I was up in Skookum Meadow, you know, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the area or you've heard of it. It's a very remote part of uh, the Cascades, uh, yeah. south of Mount St. Helens. And I wasn't afraid at all. I wasn't afraid in the woods. But here's the funny thing is I would walk every evening because it's very hot in Texas mm-hmm. in the summers. And so I would tend to do my exercise at night, go running at night. I was afraid to go running at night. I wouldn't. I refused to go running through the neighborhood. In your neighborhood. Uh-huh. Yes, which is miles away from where I saw this thing. Uh-huh. Because I think because I saw it in an urban setting, now I associate that with an urban setting. So every dog barking in the difference, every leaf scraping across mm-hmm. the, the road or the sidewalk had me jumping. And I was terrified because I did try to exert, you know, just go running at night and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It scared me so I bad. Think- but being out in the woods didn't yeah. bother me. <laughs> because you suddenly realize that something like this can come right into town mm-hmm. um, and uh, under cover of darkness. We have lots of sightings here in the UK of um, Bigfoot-like sightings. And there was the famous um, uh, old sinker or werewolf of Hull sighting that was uh, mm-hmm. sighted, I think, seven, six or seven times in 2016. I remember that. was that. seen to yeah. you know, jump, you know, eight feet, nine feet over a fence and 20 feet over a ravine with an Alsatian dog in its mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, they were eating. And the people who saw it seemed to be very matter-of-fact, everyday, general people. You know, mm-hmm. They weren't interested in ghosts or monsters or cryptids or anything else like that. Um, but the effect of, of the, seeing the creature was very strong on them. Personally, for myself, I'm a very cautious individual. So um, <laughs> I, think I, I always ask myself the question when I'm out looking for Bigfoot or whatever, what if you see one? Do you really want that experience when it's just oh. you and it alone in the wood? Mm-hmm. And then that's um, it, it's an animal or an individual as well, and you both have to decide what's going to happen next. Mm. That's an odd That's, that's a fair question to ask yourself. And it's good that you ask that because a lot of people are very quick to say, well, I would do this or I would do that. Mm. But mm. the reality of the situation when you're in it is a lot different than what you imagine in your mind. Have you had um, other cryptid encounters? No, and that's what that's what's so funny is I've, you know, focused so heavily on on Sasquatch Bigfoot research, you know, uh, that I have this one-off sighting in the yeah. middle of, you know, a very urban area. Uh-huh. Um, it, I don't know how to feel about that. You know, I've actually been actively looking for Bigfoot, and I see a dog man. <laughs> but no, no, I, I really haven't. I've had paranormal encounters but i've never had another cryptid encounter that that's interesting um especially because of your, your sighting was um unexpected you weren't i always say that um 
searching looks like hunting in a way. Mm -hmm. And um, all of the sightings, that, at least here, that we um, put together of all different types of things were usually incidental sightings. Somebody walking their dog, somebody jogging, somebody driving, always. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the handful here is a very small amount of people out looking never see anything <laughs> because well here let me tell you if if what you're hunting is anything like what i saw the vibe that you don't want to see this don't you don't want to be it. anywhere near this thing i don't mm -hmm. even i think you would probably just feel the energy coming off of it as odd as that sounds before you saw it you would want to get out of it. i mean you would have a bad feeling you wouldn't want to be in the area yeah. i can't imagine and and you don't want to see this thing <laughs> you don't have you had a feeling, uh, maybe not the same feeling, but a, a similar bad feeling while out in the woods looking before? Mm -hmm. If you suddenly felt, okay, something's here, I've got to get out, or I'm being um, pushed to move out mm -hmm. of this area. Uh, people you know, are in for sound a lot, don't they? They do, they do, and, and and there could be something to it. I mean, we know that, that animals in nature emit that, so it's quite possible a Sasquatch could admit, or any other cryptid could admit something similar um is a child one of the incidents we had something growled at us and i we were on a road that had a four foot embankment down to the forest floor and whatever it was growling at us was ear level with us it wasn't coming from below us it wasn't coming from above us it was coming ear level with us so i mean i'm not saying that was a sasquatch but it I don't believe it was a bear as a researcher now. Um, and then as far as having a bad feeling or, or being frightened uh, while investigating, I would say the closest thing was, um, I can't even remember the year it was. I think it was 2007 or eight. I was up in the Wachita mountains uh, with a group of uh, other researchers and uh, Brian Brown, a friend of mine who's a researcher, uh, he and I were investigating some noises somebody had reported down by a, uh, a creek, a little washout uh, by a cabin near where we were. So we were walking along the back fence of the cabin because it did have a bear fence around it because there are a bear in the area. And uh, we were not trying to be quiet. We weren't trying to be stealthy or sly. I mean, we had white light going. We were talking normal you know, uh, volume and something heard us and, and we heard it, I think before it heard us, it was about halfway up the mountain and this isn't summertime. So there's quite a bit of, of foliage on the brush and the trees. So we couldn't really see anything, but we could hear it walking about halfway up the mountain parallel with us. And we shined our light up there and whatever it was heard us and made a 90 degree turn and came straight down the mountain at us, not trying to be quiet Wow. Wasn't growling, wasn't barking, wasn't doing anything but moving brush. And that's all I could see was brush moving as this thing was running towards us down the mountain. And I had a firearm on my side mm -hmm. and we came around the corner of the fence towards the gate. And I did not want to turn my back to whatever was coming down the mountain very quickly at us. Pitch black. All I had was a flashlight in my gun. And I don't normally carry a gun. One of the other researchers had insisted I take their gun. So as I'm uh, trying to back up, he had it uh, on my hip where it was a cross draw where 
I'm right-handed, but I'd have to reach onto my left hip uh-huh. to pull the gun out. And that's not how, if I did carry a firearm, I would, I would normally have it. So Same I was time. trying to pull it out with my left hand as opposed to my right hand. And I was fumbling. I was scared. Brian's scared. He actually took off. I told him to go and I just meant, you know, walk quickly. He took off running right past me. Which <laughs> 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 it upset me because I was thinking if this is a bear, which it very well could have been, or a cougar, um, you're going to kick off its its predatory response. And now it's going to yeah. pounce on me because you're in <laughs> You so ran. I, and you know, I, kicked off yeah. the predatory response of I'm the victim. because I'm Yes, supposed, yeah. I'm going to get eaten. <laughs> and so... Uh, Anyway, I was, you know, because I couldn't see what was coming at me. And it was obviously Uh large and making quite a bit of noise. And I just recall um, the just ripping the holster off of my hip. I just ripped it off and pulled the gun out. So I'm now I've got a gun in my flashlight and I'm walking backwards towards this thing that but the odd thing is that it never came into the clearing. It came to the edge of the tree line and the brush line never came out where I could see it. And it walked back and forth for a few seconds. And then slowly went right back the way it came. Does that seem like um, the kind of behavior that a bear would exhibit if you, if it had been running at you to you know, it, charge or to it break could off? Have been a, yeah, you know, it could have been a bluff charge, absolutely, yeah. and I did think about that, and I'm not saying it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It very well could have been. Uh, but that's, I, I find it odd that it wouldn't have come into the clearing. I mean, because I, I, there was still quite that? a bit of space. I don't have much experience with them. I don't have much experience with bears bluff charging. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that, that they don't bluff. They come forward, don't they? I mean, well, they, they usually, I mean, they come forward and then they, they break off the, uh-huh. the, the charge. And usually, mm. you know, they'll, they'll stay in the area. And it, like I said, it very well could have been a bear just no bluff growls, charging us. No, no growls, no huffing, because I've had bears approach me while I've been in, you know, mm-hmm. camping up in Washington and Oregon. And, and, an aggressive bear coming at you. I've had a, a bear huff and pop his jaw as he's coming at me. Uh, now, he wasn't running at me, but he was advancing mm. steadily. Uh, and it was dark, and I could hear the... <laughs> and then I could hear the, the pop of the jaw. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't hear any of that this time. Uh, but I quickly got inside the, the bear fence and wow. you know, radioed for yeah other people to come. Oop, my battery's dying. Oh, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, so, um, so as far as is being uh, scared or frightened, I mean, probably okay. the closest thing to that dogman sighting I had was this incident uh, up this, in, yeah, Oklahoma. This silent bluff charge. Yeah, <laughs> that's very very interesting. Um, what I'm also curious about is whether you think, and I've heard lots of stories about this in the past, that women uh, and children are more statistically likely to have an encounter. And if, if you do think that, or why? Um, I think it's possible. Uh, and, and if so, I think it's only because women, our voices tend to be less aggressive. Um, I don't know if it's a pheromone thing either which it certainly could be uh children laughing and giggling i think is a curiosity response on the part of a sasquatch if they're coming in to investigate see what that noise is they see the little hairless you know bigfoot running around and they're curious uh and as far as women go i 
I'm not sure it's a thing, to be honest with you, because I've done all female expeditions, and I can't say that I got any more of a response or any more evidence okay. than I did with mixed company. So I think you were in quite a famous all-female expedition, weren't you? Yes, the one on Monster Quest. Uh, that's the one I yeah. saw. Okay. Was, is that the one that features the, is that the one that the Skookum cast comes from? Or yes. is that a different sh- that's, that's, that's very I believe, notable. yeah, we were at the, the um, I mean, the Skookum cast wasn't predominant in that episode, I don't believe. But we were in the area where it was pulled out of the ground. And we were oh, with oh, Rick yes. Knoll, who was one of the people there oh. when it was discovered. That's, I, I, I love that. I mean, that's such an unusual piece of evidence. Um, it is. Personally for you, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you think there is a Bigfoot in Texas. Um, I, I believe Bigfoot's possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, having seen no, what I've seen, you know, as far as sure. the dogman encounter goes, I can't say now. I mean, oh. my personal opinion on it is that <laughs> it just needs enough isolation in space. It doesn't need masses and masses of forest as far as I'm concerned. That's my own personal opinion. And there is a big forested part of Texas, anyway, isn't there? Um, you know, as well as the, the open land that you have, but you have so much space with so few people in it, relatively. Mm, yeah, in East Texas. Could be, could be out there without you knowing about them. Oh, sure. absolutely. I mean, the big swath of East Texas is pine, piney land. And that's called the Big Thicket, and it is so difficult to navigate through mm-hmm. and there are parts of it that you just not very many people go i mean it's swampland it's creeks it's bottoms it's bayous it's it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to say the least in the summer and um absolutely i mean that's where when i first got started in in research that i was investigating because that's the part of texas i lived in at the time mm-hmm. And 100%, I believe, a lot of things could be living in there that nobody would necessarily run across on uh, the average day. That's, um, I, I, I hear a little bit about it. My wife actually grew up in Arlington. Texas. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. She's not from there. She's from the Middle East. But uh, her father had a job so I think between age 6 and 12 or something like that. She... Lived in Texas, and now she's British. You know, she she uh, she's going around all the Anglo-style countries. I'll be Australian next, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's she said it was a beautiful place. She loved the people, but her memory coming from a very small Middle Eastern country about Texas was that wherever they went, it took forever to to drive there oh, that's because true. it was so big. <laughs> and every time they hard. had to go somewhere, or they had to catch a plane across state, same state. Things mm-hmm. like that, and so that would be you know, that's quite a, an eye-opening um, aspect to me too, because the UK is a small country too. Um, now, what I wanted to ask you about is uh, apparently you have some, uh, not apparently, but you do have some uh, Native American um, ancestry. I do. Is that right? Uh, yes. Am I allowed to ask which which tribe, which people? Uh, Chiricahua Apache. Chiricahua. Where are they from? They're from uh, New Mexico. Okay. Uh, Arizona, northern Mexico. I'm totally green on that, by the way. So <laughs> I, I want to check because I, I will definitely. They come from the desert. Let me. They come from the desert. Okay, so you're in a good place right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> genetically speaking, um, so um, you've got a keen interest in Native American legends. Can I you do. tell us? 
a little bit here about the Skinwalker and, and Wendigo. The Skinwalker, well, the Skinwalker is particular interest of mine. Um, because a lot of people I hear referring to it as, you know, another form of um, dog man that uh-huh. they shapeshift. But my belief in my, the stories I've heard are um, they're, they're just, they're witches. They're, they're people. They're very, very evil, evil people. Because oh. to be initiated as a skinwalker, you have to do some very specific tasks. And none of them are kind or nice. Oh, I see. And you have to be a very particularly evil person to to even endeavor such a thing. Um, I believe they wear pelts. I believe that uh, people on the res, they don't like to talk to them. They don't like to talk about them. You're not supposed to talk about them because to talk about them draws them to you. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people say, well, you know, they, they can turn into large dogs. I've seen big dogs. I'm not saying you haven't. And I I just find it very difficult to believe that anybody is literally transforming into anything. No, sure. sure. So could this be some sort of um, uh, religious ritualistic uh, ceremony Mm -hmm. in which a person takes a a form of witchcraft? I mean, does that type of um, dark side of religious practice exists in Native American cultures. I always oh, aware of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Well, that's exactly what the Skinwalker is. Now. So that's exactly what it is. So that who is would exactly initiate that is. person? And uh, you said they would have to do some terrible things to be initiated. Who would be responsible? Yeah, for another Skinwalker. That? Another Skinwalker. Okay. So it's almost like um, if if you were to, to frame it, uh, this is the wrong. Uh, example actually but if you were to talk about witchcraft for example then you'd have people who said they were white witches and others who might be black witches and mm-hmm. was is that the kind of difference that we're talking about and these are the same individuals from the same belief structure and yet these bad individuals are, are perpetuating well i would this say they're from the same belief structure because i believe uh-huh. in from the anglo point of view witches are are different than a native american point oh of no i'm not saying that no sorry um that's not what i'm saying i'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to <laughs> are you talking about solely a native american perspective yes, is totally there a white no, yes okay so the medicine person from... would be a white right. yes yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. like the 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 shaman the yes. the medicine man the medicine woman would be yeah. considered like a white witch and the yeah. the skinwalker would be the black witch thanks for helping me out there i was plummeting <laughs> really fast um now uh in regards to uh things like the the wendigo is is that a similar creature then to the skinwalker or is it uh, something completely different it's completely different uh a wendigo is well first of all it doesn't look like a skinwalker a wendigo looks like an emaciated uh, person very tall uh oftentimes described as antlered rotting very thin very very thin and they mainly come from the, Algon- the Algonquin people and the tribes up in the Northeast and uh, North Central uh, America, where you would get harsh winters. Uh-huh. And it was a spirit that could only possess you if you partook in cannibalism. Uh-huh. And uh, now do I, th- I don't know how I feel as far as, is there really like a, a monster Mm-hmm. called Wendigo running, literally running through the forests. And 
they run very fast. They run so fast you can't see them. They run so fast their feet are flame. Mm. Um, they move quickly. But I, th- I think it was more of a legend to dissuade people from from turning to cannibalism in harsh winters where there is no food. And that was something that probably was rampant. Okay. So this is, this is almost like um, uh, a spiritual parable or fable to warn people mm-hmm. against the dangers. of. Well, you know, and some people who have, you know, turned cannibalistic say, Oh, well now I, I was possessed by the Wendigo. It, oh. it, it's because of the Wendigo. And I think you're just pushing that guilt off okay. onto a, an entity or a possession sure. so you feel better about what you did the devil made me do it yes exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you uh, coming away from that um your experience outdoors woman uh, lots of field research is behind you uh, what do you think are the most important prep and uh, equipment uh, preparations that one should have ready before going out in the field um and no matter where you're going, know the terrain, know where you're going, never go alone. I mean, that's my number one rule when I was teaching um, everybody. I, w- I used to uh, teach newcomers, you know, how to prep and how to get ready to go out and do actual research. Never go anywhere alone. That's just inviting trouble. Uh-huh. Uh, always have casting materials on your person, uh, whether it's hydrocal or plaster depending on your 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 expertise and how comfortable you are with the materials have something and at worst case scenario you're going to come across a really cool coyote track or a cougar track and you get to cast that in practice your casting abilities Mm -hmm. because let's face it i think the number one piece of evidence that researchers are pulling out of the field is going to be casts Mm -hmm. Uh, so you may as well bone up on that and always have something in your pack for that uh, water emergency kits. Even if you're going to Farmer Ted's back 40, you should have emergency kits with you. Uh, matches, you know, a, a, oh, I forget what they're called now. Uh, putting me on the spot. No, they're okay. uh, emergency blankets. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, it's the, the tinfoil figure. Oh, <laughs> yeah, for shock and things like that. Of course. Yeah. You know, energy bars, definitely water, um, something to mix the plaster in. I just keep mine in a in a little Ziploc baggie and pour the water in and mix it up. So, I mean, in a pinch, you've got that. But it's very basic things. But my my number one thing is know know the terrain, know where you're going, never go alone and prepare for the worst. So uh, talking about never going alone, I used to go out a lot alone by myself. And it's, you know, I'm not looking at facing bears or, or cougars, although we allegedly do have some big cats here. Um, most of the time, the biggest fear is a fall of some kind. Mm-hmm. And well, you just don't know what's going to happen, yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, what about people that, um, what are your suggestions for researchers, especially women traveling in the wild alone, uh, who want to start their own field researcher, uh, research, but they're, they're worried about finding a good field buddy to go with them? Any any suggestions, any groups in, in your part of the world, for instance, that they should join who could match them uh, with a good um, field researcher buddy or, or something like that? Well, any woman researcher who's watching this can certainly reach out to me and I will okay. help her. Um, I would be more than happy to talk with her and help her 
link up with other researchers in her area because I do know people around the world and I can, I can point you in the right direction. (laughs) I'd be happy to do that for anybody. I'm not, since I left the TBRC, I'm not really keen on groups. Um, They are helpful. I mean, they help you learn. They, they get you into areas. Uh It's always good. You'll always, you will always have somebody to go out with you. And there are many great groups around the United States, um, unfortunately, in Britain and Australia and other parts of the world. I'm not as familiar with the groups, but I do know people. Uh, But um, yes, if if you're curious and you want help and direction, I'm a very nice person and I'm always willing to help a new researcher because I know what it's like to try to get in on these chat groups Mm -hmm. and try to get on these forums and you throw your opinion out there and you get jumped on by a mm. pack of rabid dogs who just <laughs> are sick of that question for the 500th time. And they're going to tell you all about it. So I will spare, I mean, I'm happy to spare anybody that anybody. Yeah. yeah. So. No, I've seen a few, I've seen a few, um, poor and, uh, newbies is the wrong word, but new people get, um, eaten up. Yes. And they're just, they're genuine questions and and there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I mean, please uh, do your research. I mean, (laughs) look, if you have a question, um, it's likely been asked before. I mean, there's plenty of resources on the web to help you. But if you want pointers or anything like that, again, I'm a nice person. I'm happy to help. (laughs) <laughs> very nice. So you are a nice person, of course. That, that's very clear. And it's good that they can contact you. Now, talking about TV work. So you've done quite a few TV programs, done quite a bit of radio as well. Uh, what do you think of the pitfalls of presenting good evidence in our sensationalized soundbite era? You know, and what is is there a struggle against what you're uh, what you're filming against what is being presented? Because of course, TV has to be interesting and fast. And it has to keep people's attention. So. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate that? I don't know that that you do because to be mm. quite honest with you, any level-headed researcher is likely to get passed over by the TV shows because they want crazy, they want over the top. Um, and you know, men. I, I yeah. yeah, well, and I get exactly, <laughs> and I get which they're great guys, but I mean that's not yeah. necessarily legit research. You know, yeah. real research is boring, and nine times out of ten. You don't find anything, you don't hear anything, you're just sitting there on the dark, you're out there researching, you know, Joe Smith's sighting, and there's no physical evidence, you just have anecdotal evidence, and, you know, that that's hard to keep people entertained, and I, I you're going to keep getting shows like Finding Bigfoot, where they never really find anything, and that's not a knock on them, I mean, I... I know everybody in that show. I've been friends with them long before the TV show was even a thing. And they're great guys and they're great researchers. But that's that's the only way to keep it interesting for people is to keep putting that carrot out there. The thing with those guys as well is that um, they're bona fide, real deal researchers that are still researching after the show's gone. And um, I met them in Kentucky for the Crypticon last year, actually. Mm -hmm. We've become friends since then. And um, just really, really, same as yourself, happy to talk to people, happy to offer advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wondered, you know, if you're like 
four or five people with a camera crew and a, like a a unit somewhere near a forest so you can yeah. all go and have like a, a break and light stuck to you you're not mm-hmm. gonna find much you're not i mean and just, to be honest with you though sign. real research you're not fooling anything in the woods anyway no you're not it knows you're there it knows yes. you're there before you know you're there <laughs> and that's their backyard yeah i mean that's it's like backyard. somebody coming into your house and yes. you know yeah. are you going to be able to hide from them probably because yeah. you know yeah. it pretty well so, I, um, yeah. I said to people uh oh she came to my house and changed one of the books on the shelves just one book come into the house and i'd know Something was different. Mm-hmm. Now that's a book, mm-hmm. right? You just put another book there. Surely I shouldn't notice. But you know your own backyard. You do. And I think it's the same with any animal. It's just trees and leaves to us. But those are the those are the markings. Those are the the signposts for them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, finally, if you could investigate any cryptid in any location and select any two researchers, living or dead, mm. past or present, to take with you, what cryptid location and researchers would you choose? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one because there's so many to choose from. Mm. Are you going to offend now by missing them out? Not going to offend anybody. <laughs> Not going to offend anybody. Think, um, I'm friends with everybody, and they know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, so which cryptid? Which cryptid? Money is no object. Which cryptid? On which location? No you know. I would probably still stick with Dogman, only because I've seen it. And as scared as it made me, I'm, I'm equally fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to just research it when I had my sighting. And, of course, when that happened, I took a hard left and went straight into that and kind of pushed the Bigfoot research to the side in lieu of this. So I would probably stick with that. Only because I, I can't explain it and I don't know what, what it is, is it? and I know I know yeah. it's there, yeah. and it shouldn't be. Mm. And I would I would probably stick to that research anywhere in the world. I would go anywhere it popped up. If money's no object, mm. somebody has a sighting. I'm going there. <laughs> so who are the two researchers you're taking with you to look for this scary, um, terrifying creature? This one that's had this big effect on your on your life. For this, now, every cryptid would have a unique researcher that I would take because I know the strengths of many of them. Uh, For Dogman, I would likely take Jody Cook because he's got a lot of knowledge. He's been researching this for years and years before it even became common knowledge to most people. Um, I would say Linda Godfrey, but I don't know that she's really a researcher as much as an author. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I would like to resurrect Renee DeHinden just <laughs> to have that personality around Why not? <laughs> I love him. He was, oh, Why all the not? stories I've heard from friends that knew him. I would just, even though that's not his field of research, I would just love to have his, just, just his have, monologue just in the background. <laughs> you know what? I think in such, um, terrifying situations, you need... You need a good um, icebreaker. You do. Oh, he would. Yeah. He he would lay it out in no uncertain yeah, terms. <laughs> definitely, definitely. If I was looking for the dog man, I think I'd want to take a George with me, like a Seinfeld mm-hmm. George. I want oh. to keep it light, 
crazy. <laughs> I have something to distract me all the way through. Well, you could probably run faster than George too, so that's good. If it's well, decided to like come after you, you're in even the clear. my in my um, terribly diminished condition, I think I would definitely outpace George. You know, um, I always carry a knife in the field, and I used to joke with my friend Brian Brown, and I'd say, oh, if something's coming after us, I've got my knife, and I will stab you in the leg. <laughs> You're going down. You're taking it for the team, my friend. So there's a, a researcher here who's been researching British Bigfoot for four decades. Her name is Deborah Hatswell. She's a friend of mine. She's collected mm-hmm. 470, 480 sightings now. She's mapped wow. them all. It's a Google mm-hmm. map. We can look at the actual witness sightings. She had a sighting in the 1980s when she was 15 years old. And she was um, plain truant, bunking mm-hmm. off school with a friend in a local park, um, which there has some sort of woods and rivers coming off of it. She saw this seven foot tall, big foot or wild man, as she called it then. Mm-hmm. And when I first asked her about it, I said, um, this relates to your life story. I said, uh, was it like a really spiritual experience? What did they feel like? She said, I threw my friend to the floor so he'd get her first <laughs> and ran three miles all the way home with mucus and tears streaming down my face. She didn't leave oh. the house for three years, uh, un, you know, unaided. And that was how spiritual the experience was for her. It's very spiritual. <laughs> and she had a survival instinct reaction, you know, to mm-hmm. what was happening. And she's apologized to the friend. Of course, they're friends again now, years later. But she threw her to the floor and said, there she is, and kind of liked it. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, until you're in the situation, you really no. don't know how you're going to react. Don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And for me, it's significant that, you know, obviously you've been in situations with bears um, and, you know, possibly cougars and things like that. So these are animals that you're used to. They're dangerous animals. And yet this dogman experience made you feel a lot more scared than that oh terrified just Mm -hmm. i i can't adequately describe the terror i mean it's it's a feeling i can't how close were you to it i mean uh, oh very close Uh very close i was maybe 20 feet from it 30 feet maybe it had a humanoid type of body no it was definitely yes it had shoulders it it was quite muscular i mean i could make out definition i didn't look straight at it because i just my mind i don't think i could have handled it to be quite honest with you i really don't and my mind was like don't look right at it you know exactly (sighs) what that is you don't (laughs) and you can't handle it and it was this literal monologue in my head do not look right at that do not look right at that and uh but i turned enough i mean it was right in my peripheral and uh and it was definitely humanoid. It had very pointed ears. It had a, kind of a almost a hump back. It was um, mm-hmm. hyena-ish uh-huh. from the, the top of the head to the, the shoulders. But it, it had the snout. The snout. It was it... brown from mm-hmm. the best I could tell. It was, it was dark, but it was uh-huh. a brown. And it landed. I mean, it was, it was jumping uh-huh. oh, like a kangaroo. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... I mean, it, it maybe was a kangaroo. Maybe some rich nut let their kangaroo out. Yeah. I mean, I know people talk about that sometimes, actually, um, as escape kangaroos as a substitute for, for dog men sightings. But generally, most people sightings are clear enough to, to rule out a kangaroo. 
Mm-hmm. And even when they're ducking, you would have perhaps made out a tail. A big long yeah, tail. Yeah, see, been, the way it yeah. landed, I couldn't mm-hmm. really... Um, I couldn't really see any of that. I mean, I could I could see it bounding, and I saw it land with you know its arm between its leg, a three point yeah. runner stance, and it had one arm, you know, up up in the air. Wow! Like it come down and uh-huh. balanced itself when it landed, and then it looked, you know, it hunched down and watched me through my passenger window. Wow! It was terrifying. What what speed do you think you're driving at the time? Well, I had just turned onto the road, and being residential, I was probably doing 25, 30 miles per hour, perhaps. I mean, yeah, Yeah. it was not quick at all. No, not quick enough. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really, I I really don't envy you that sighting at all, to be honest with you. That's that's one of my big fears that I should should, um, almost do that. Now, just finally, before we go, where can people find you online? How can people support you and get involved with your work? Uh, well, I keep my research pretty low. I'm not involved with any groups. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Monica Frank Rollins. Uh, feel free to reach out to me with any questions there. Huh. Uh, you can instant message me. I'm happy as again, as I said before, I am more than happy to, to help you out. Um, I'm on Instagram as Monica underscore Rollins. Now, if you're looking for a lot of Bigfoot or cryptid posts, my posts are, I, I keep my research to myself mainly. I so love your posts. If you're looking, they're, <laughs> I love they're your memes. very mean. <laughs> they're mean, mean memes. Yeah, they're mean, mean memes, memes and pictures yeah. of myself. So uh, you're not going to find a lot of a lot of well, um, I would suggest that everybody references. gets onto Instagram and Facebook and checks out those mean memes because they really do frighten my day when I see them sometimes. <laughs> Especially traveling through central London, so often I'm on the way to work and you know fighting through the um, uh, the army of friendly people mm-hmm. uh, on the way there, and it's just kind of like Monica's mean meme that I'll get me through. That's great. I'll say what everybody else is thinking. Yeah, what it exactly. Is. exactly. <laughs> I think it's amazing sometimes. Since I've sort of hit my, my uh, 40s now, every time somebody tells me to have a nice day, I just think, go after yourself. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> what are you saying this to me for? Yeah. I'll have the day that nice happens. <laughs> yeah. I've stopped saying have a nice day. Just yeah. have the day you deserve. Let karma yeah. sort that out. Yeah. You have the you day you deserve. A nice day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the day you deserve. <laughs> Oh, Monica, it's sad to say goodbye. I should, I should definitely um, leave you to get on with your evening now. And just thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I very much enjoyed this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.